0: Welcome to Vitalnomics, the Church Vitality Podcast, a digital arm of the Church Vitality Network. I'm your host, Gary Moritz, and joining me will be today's voices in church revitalization and renewal. This is a place to find spiritual health, active leadership, and finding legacy over longevity. No matter where you are on the revitalization journey, God is writing your story through his church. He's called you to do it. So whatever you do, don't quit. Reach out and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. If you find this episode helpful, share it. If you have some helpful insights on revitalization, let's share them on the show. Now, let's get into today's topic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Vitalnomics. I'm so excited that you've joined us for today's podcast. Today, we have a special guest, a.k.a. Urban D, and he's the leader and pastor of Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. And I'm so excited about his church because under his leadership of his church, they have seen incredible growth in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-class church has really become a, a model for many people to follow. I love the fact that they begin to just explode in growth and so they had to purchase a forty-three thousand square foot building from a former Toys R Us downtown in the district. And so what's what's funny is I he kind of kicked out the giraffe and he brought God into the building. So that's kind of cool. Uh, his church <laughs> has been featured on Outreach Magazine, and um, really excited about that. And America's most innovative churches. His church has been featured on many different national platforms like USA Today, Newsweek, CBS. BET News and other media outlets. He's also a music producer, hip hop artist. He's released nine full length albums with different types of remixes that he's done. And I love one of his books. It's called Love Our City. And we're going to dig into that in just a little bit. But my favorite, favorite part is his family. Tommy lives in Tampa Bay area in Florida with his wife and his two daughters. And so, Tommy, welcome to Vitalnomics.
1: Man, Dr. Gary, it's good to be with you, brother.
0: It's so, so good to have you. I'm I'm flexing his jacket right now from his clothing company, Eternal. I love this jacket, and uh, <laughs> it's so cool. It's I, good on you, bro. Thanks, thanks. I had to get it immediately. I saw it. I was like, man, I saw it actually last year at Exponential, and I was like, I don't want to pack it. But then this year, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to order it. And then I was like, I can't pack it. So then we started going back and forth, and I finally got it. So I'm pumped. I love it. Love it. So so today's topic for our listeners, we're going to talk about bringing revitalization to your city. So, Tommy, t- tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your ministry.
1: Yeah, so you gave me a, the full intro, the full bio <laughs> there. But uh, so a little bit added to that, you know, as I, I was a youth pastor at first at Crossover, and then I got pushed into being the lead pastor in 2002. I can't believe it's been 21 wow. years. And we just had a handful of people. There was only about 40 adults. About half of them were my youth leaders, because <laughs> we had about 250 teenagers that were coming to the youth group every Thursday night. Wow! And so the church leaders are like, why don't you take over? The youth ministry is going great. <laughs> so I stepped into that role, and we didn't have a lot of people, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources, but we had a lot of freedom yeah. to reshape and recreate what the uh urban multi-ethnic church could look like in the city and so that's what we began to do me being an artist and i had a bunch of artists around me we started to really kind of reshape the way church was done very biblical but in a kind of a remixed package yeah and so immediately the church started to grow because we were doing something new and different and people are, you know, when you get new people that come to Jesus, they start inviting their friends and yeah. family and they're excited and they're zealous. And so we just had this big group of young adults and it just kept growing. And eventually our little 200 seat auditorium that we had at this building that was given to us, we didn't have any rent. It was awesome, Dr. Gary. No <laughs> rent. We didn't have to pay no bills except the electric bill, which uh, wasn't even that much because it was a little building. But when we were running out of space. And uh, then we did this weird thing where we started a second service. Mm. And in my urban mind, my you know, box, I was like, that's weird. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be like two different churches. Yeah, yeah. You know, Rico's not gonna see Johnny and Carlos isn't gonna see Sherry, and because it's two different, like, you know, and so we tried it. I was skeptical if it would work and it did. Mm. So much of the fact that then within a year later, we had to start a third service. Awesome. <laughs> so and we were doing three services in this little building and uh, even build an overflow patio. You can do that in Florida, not necessarily New England, <laughs> no. um, just maybe for a few months of the year, but in Florida we were able to use that thing all year round. We were able to seat almost a hundred more people on this overflow patio with a screen out there and you know some ceiling fans and awning overhead, and we just kind of made it work. And then we kind of maxed out, we're hitting the lid and uh, God needed to grow us a little bit more the next couple of years and get our team ready to take the big leap to move from 6,000 square feet to 43,000 square feet and kick Jeffrey out. (laughs) Jeffrey the giraffe, (laughs) RIP to Jeff. Um, And we took over the old Toys R Us store um, in the heart of the city in Tampa, in a neighborhood that used to be called Suitcase City. It still is kind of trying to shake that reputation. It's now an innovation district, it's called Uptown. Mm. But we moved into that district to say, man, we want to revitalize this community. We want to rebuild this community. It's a rough area. It's got a lot of issues, but we see that that's where God wants us. And people thought we were crazy to go in in the middle of recession was 2010 when we got the building and and started to do the build out. And there was a lot of empty storefronts on this street and a lot of businesses that had fled to the suburbs. And here we are coming and investing a couple million dollars in in an old retail box. And people are like, that's not really that smart. We're like, look, this is where God told us to go. Yeah. And we're gonna go there, we're an urban church and we're going even deeper into the, the heart of the city. And so uh, we've been here a uh, little bit over 12 years, man. And it has been uh, not an easy journey, but an amazing one. So many great stories of lives being touched and this building has given us, a, it's a tool for us to touch the city. And we've seen thousands of people come to Jesus and we have baptized, we just baptized 60 people um, two weeks ago, the week after Easter. And in total, since we've been in the building, we're now at over seventeen hundred people wow. that have been. Baptized. So it has been, it's been nothing short of revival. really. Yeah.
0: man, that's so so good. So you mentioned revival. So bringing health and vitality in the church, like I believe, it always starts with the leader. And so God has placed you as the leader. You know, just like you said, you weren't looking for it, and God just kind of says, "Hey, you're the guy." And I yeah. love, I love it the fact that you you dropped a track not too long ago called Frames, and so what I got out of the track when I I, I listen to it a lot, and so it, it really touches me with a heart perspective on how you see people in their situations, and, and it's just powerful. Yeah. So, what would you say would be some of the frames a leader should have to bring vitality to their church?
1: Yeah, and in, in the book I did, it's a book as well called Frames. And it actually comes in a box. I did like a box kit. It's got a master class within stuff too. And each chapter of the book, there's eight chapters, and it's like a specific frame versus another frame. So chapter one is pessimistic frames versus optimistic frames. Mm. And now any of us, when we look at any inner city, any urban community, there is a lot to be pessimistic about. I mean, there's poverty, there's crime, there's all kinds of really bad statistics that are going on, and it just doesn't look great at all. It's hard, and there's a ton of needs. And so, but if you can look at it through the right frames, through those optimistic frames, those God frames, Mm. and you can see the potential, not the problems, and you can see the potential in people and not just their problems and what God could transform them into, it can become a game changer. And so I'm an optimistic person. I just always kind of have been. That's the way God wired me, thank God. Um, (laughs) But even me, at times you can still get negative. That's our human nature a little bit, right? Yeah. But um, coming here to this community, there was a lot of odds stacked against us, but we were optimistic. And I have a team, like you said, it starts with the leader. And so me having those optimistic frames and kind of being that cheerleader and that spreads, it can be contagious. Your frames are contagious if they're the right frames or the wrong frames. So your perspective is contagious as a leader. And so me being just that optimistic person, we pushed through a lot of like seemingly impossible hurdles, especially the first couple of years when we came in the building. We had construction debt. um, We had big bills that we had to pay. Now we had to grow up. There there was a a monthly lease payment before the old building was, we didn't have nothing we paid every month except the electric bill. And the electric bill here, the first month was like $3,000. We're like, oh my gosh, take it <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, we got that first bill. Like our biggest bill at the old church was like 500 in the summer right. when we had the AC cranking, <laughs> you right. know. And so, uh, yeah, there was just a lot of uh, new challenges and new dynamics. But God walked with us and we had the right frames on and that helped us. So they'll have an optimistic frames. Another one, another chapter in the book is Greedy frames versus generous frames. Mm. Learning to be generous, temporary frames versus eternal frames, looking at that the big picture, not just the the little short picture. And so yeah, there's perspective is everything.
0: Wow, that's so good. So I'm gonna have to get that book. So I'm gonna have to purchase that. So I I didn't I didn't know that was a book, but thank you for telling me that because I'm gonna read it <laughs> yeah. because I I read this book. Uh, Rebuild, and I love it. So you you did a really great job with it. Thank you. Uh, We'll we'll get into that in just a little bit. So, so I might I'm going to take you down memory lane a little bit to kind of set this next question up. So. You know, I grew up in a very urban neighborhood in New York, Bayshore, Brentwood. Now it's kind of like lock your doors type thing, you know, uh, make sure you yep. know, if, if you're not from there, everybody will know you're not from there. And so I had a very diverse school growing up, uh, Listen to all types of music, mainly Motown, hip hop and Kiss. You know, what what a combination there. Wow. And, and so so hip hop, from my understanding, at least from growing up, started in the Bronx. And at least that, that's what everybody trickled down in, in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it kind of went out to Long Island pretty fast where I grew up. And so I found myself at a very young age, like listening to Fat Boys, Dougie Fresh, Nucleus. Uh, by third grade, I was breakdancing, dancing, um, yep. listening to lots of rhyming and beatboxing. And then in 1979, around 1980, somewhere around there, Rapper's Delight dropped. And it was in every kid's oh. mouth. Uh, cardboard and Windbreaker pants became the new drip. And everybody wanted a boombox and and then oh, you know, four shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And then <laughs> and then fourth and fifth grade DMC from Hollis dropped and everybody was going nuts. And and I just remember just being in that context, there was such a celebration of just unity around diversity. And it didn't matter, like it really didn't matter if you were white, Puerto Rican, like Chinese, like it didn't matter, like you you unified around your your neighborhood, your context, mm-hmm. and and then fast forward, like that's my backdrop. So I learned to like like kind of love everybody, like I didn't care where you were from. It was like, hey, we 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 got each other's back, you know. And then yeah. I found, fa- and then 28 years old, I find myself stepping into the church, like active in ministry. And I kind of found that collective neighborhood feel wasn't there anymore. And mm. I kind of went into this culture shock because, you know, like you, you know, pastoring over two decades and, and then and then seeing the church struggle in this area, I want us to like maybe talk about that a little bit, especially a church that has no idea how to reach people they don't even understand That's, that maybe they're, it's near them, but it's not like them. And maybe yeah. there's this cultural wall, like, like how can a church break past that?
1: Yeah, well, I, I can relate to you in a lot of ways, man. I grew up in Philly yes. in a diverse environment. And, yeah, I got into breakdancing and the whole nine <laughs> yards, beatboxing, doing graffiti, tagging, yeah. all that. So, yeah, and I always grew up around a very diverse group of people. Like at my house, you know, I had my, my one Indian friend coming over. I had a couple Korean friends, had this Italian kid across the street. <laughs> Um, had Puerto Ricans, Jamaicans, yeah. like a little, little bit of everything. Was my my house is like the United Nations. Everyone yeah. was just cool, and, and so we all came from different ethnic backgrounds, and we realized that. And sometimes we would crack on each other. Yeah, and different languages were spoken in a lot of our homes, yeah. you know, by our parents and grandparents and stuff like that. But our language was hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the thing that kind of brought us together, which was a, a cool thing. So for me. Um, as a then became a pastor, for me, having a church where everybody comes together just seemed like natural. Like, why wouldn't we do that? Right. That's organically how I grew up. And so our church has always been organically multi-ethnic. But at the same time, as we started to get bigger, we had to be intentional. We had to make some intentional decisions sometimes as well. There was even a season at our old campus where we were— in a season where predominantly the staff and the leadership team was all Hispanic or Hispanic looking, and we were all from up North. Hmm. And so automatically you're gonna attract who you are. And so when that was all the leadership, pretty much we began to look at the church and we're like, dang, we're becoming a pretty much like a, a Spanish church with everybody that's from New York and Philly and you know up North somewhere, you know and that's becoming like the predominant thing we want to be open for everybody and you know you know we have to be intentional with some of the leadership and the hires and stuff like that and you know then when we moved to our new location the neighborhood was different too so we we became much more diverse but i think any church that is trying to figure out how do we reach people that are different than who's currently in the in the pews or in the seats now I think you gotta look and assess what their needs are. Sometimes we can think we know what the needs are, but we don't assess them, we just assume. Mm. And the church is sometimes good at just assuming and getting it wrong, right? And so I think it's about getting out in the community, getting to know the neighbors, You know, maybe even doing some surveys, doing just doing some outreaches where you serve the neighbors, you have conversations, you just get to know some people. Hang out at the local barbershop, hang out at the coffee shop, get to know some of the people, go to some community meetings go to a local chamber of commerce or business meeting as well. Like try to get in different environments and just kind of live and breathe and see what's going on in the community. And so I guess I'll just kind of fast forward a little bit. You mentioned love our city and what we did with love our city is we said, we want to love all of our city. Our church is diverse. And we know it's not for everybody. Not everyone's going to maybe come and like the style necessarily of, the music and preaching and even the diversity. Some people are just not going to like that. That's who we are. That's who God's called us to be at our church. And not saying you have to do it exactly like us, but we're trying to be a a New Testament church and reflect that in as many ways as we can. And so we looked at, you know, who lives in the community. So we put a whiteboard up. We said, who lives within a three to five mile radius? Mm. Because we want to love all of our city, not just, a certain demographic or two cuz think about it dr gary like yeah. when we do outreach it boils down basically to this let's give away free stuff to poor people that's what it is yeah and you know what most churches don't do enough of that that's they don't bad. you know so we need to do that and our church is great at that we give lots of stuff away we give tons of food away we give backpacks and school supplies and toys at christmas and trunk or treat event, we do all kinds of like stuff that we give away. That's great. But what about the family that doesn't need to buy a backpack? I mean, they don't need a free backpack for their kids. They right. can afford it. Hmm. Matter of fact, they don't want the, the lower end backpack that we're giving out. Right. They want their kid to have a brand name, yeah. $200 backpack. <laughs> you know? yes. um, what about the upper class family that doesn't, they, they don't need food. They don't need resources that we're giving out. But they need Jesus, too, yeah. just as much or maybe even more, <laughs> because sometimes in all the material wealth and resources they have, they lose themselves and, you know, they're miserable. Yeah. I've met a lot of people with money that are just messed up. And so we began to dream and say, what would it look like for us to really create a week of serving projects where we're intentionally touching all these de- different demographics in our community? So we made a a a, a, bo- a list on our whiteboard. And we said, with the with the group, who lives within a three to five mile radius? Let's just start going through the people groups. So we said, oh, there's college students. We got a university up the street. Um, there's professionals and business people. There's a lot of businesses in the district. There's young families. Mm. There's single moms. There's people in poverty. There's immigrants. There's homeless people. There's seniors. There's teachers. There's police officers. There, You know, we just started going through all these different like people groups. And we said, okay, so now let's figure out how we can connect projects to serve those people and touch those people. Even if those people don't need something, we're still gonna bless them, mm-hmm. you know, and it can still be a blessing to them. And it creates a bridge and a relationship. So I would just encourage churches out there, if you're disconnected from the people around you, find ways that you can just serve them. And that begins to build a bridge and start a relationship.
0: Man, I, I love that. It's so it's so good. I w- I want to dig deeper in just a moment on that um, because I, I think it's so it's so so needed. Let Let me jump into your your book, Rebuild, and let me deal with just two chapters: Chapter Two and Chapter Nine. So Chapter Two is becoming a humble beast first question is define what beast is to like you know the the, the white dude that maybe not i <laughs> don't understand the urban they yeah. don't understand every culture and then the second question what does a rebuilding leader
1: look like to you yeah so a beast is somebody that's like great at what they do yeah yeah so if you are a great golfer <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm gonna give you some some white suburban analogies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. If you're a great tennis player, you know, um, man, that guy's a beast on the tennis court. Yeah, yeah. He's a beast on the basketball court. Yeah. He's just a beast at communicating. Whatever that thing is that you're good at, that's kind of a, just a slang. When they say you're a beast, you're, you're good at it. And that was really even more like, I actually wrote that book about eight years ago. Yeah. That was a very popular. Uh, terminology and slang at the time. It still yeah. is used now, definitely, but but maybe not not as heavily. Right. I think it's pretty well known. Yeah. Um, what beast means? So humble beast, connecting those two together because it's like humble beast. They almost sound like almost sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> right. So you can be a beast at something. You can be great at it, but learn to be humble mm. to realize like, hey, it's it's God that that gave me this gift to do this thing that I do exceptionally well. And I'm gonna be humble about it. I'm gonna point the shine to him. I'm not gonna act like I'm all that. I'm not gonna get arrogant. I'm gonna still, you know, be touchable and relatable with people. And, And that's what a real humble beast leader does. And like for myself, you know, every Sunday after service, I'm in the lobby and I'm out there until the last person pretty much leaves. You know, I want to be accessible and I make that a rule for my staff. You have to be in the lobby for. 30 minutes at least after service. You can't be in a meeting in your office. You can't be hiding in it. You need to be out there, be touching people, you know, and for a lot of people that speaks, you know, volumes, you know, we're kind of a little bit of a larger church. There's hundreds uh, and hundreds of people that gather in a service, and so to be able to meet the pastor afterwards and talk to him or shake his hand or say hello, for a lot of people, especially in the urban context, they're like, oh my gosh, like, I went to this other church that was small. I didn't even meet the pastor for like (laughs) six months. (laughs) (laughs) And I shook my hand like the first day and you talked to me. And so, you know, those kind of, and in the post-pandemic world we're in, people want to have leaders that are touchable. Yeah. you know They don't want superstar celebrity leaders. And, you know, I could try to act like that with the records I have up on the wall and the books I've written and the places I travel to and the things that God allows me to do. But I'm like, I fight against that. i like, nope, I'm just an everyday person like you. That's God right. maybe opened up some cool doors for me, but I'm I'm right here having a conversation with you. And so I think for leaders today, I would say, man, we got to be accessible and we got to find ways to touch people and be and be relatable. Um, matter of fact, I'll just say this because I'm looking at it. So this is my phone. We're mm. on video right now. We could see each other, but I know everyone else is listening to audio. Yeah. This is my phone, but this is my church phone. And this was my sabbatical phone um, okay. in two years ago. And when I came back from sabbatical, I said, you know what? They, they gave me this phone as a burner phone. I said, I want to keep that phone. And I want to, uh, I want us to put that on the plan. And I want to use that phone to send every first time guest that comes to our church, a video text, a customized video text. I'm not going to make one that's like, Hey, thanks for coming Sunday. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to say, Hey, Dr. Gary, what's yeah. up? It's Pastor Tommy, yeah. you know, and I do it selfie style, you know, That's good. and I do that for every first time visitor. As a matter of fact, here's my cards yeah. that I have to do this week. Uh-huh. And uh, we actually had a, a a low Sunday this Sunday, so it's yeah. not as many. I only have 22 this week yeah. to do, yeah. but yeah. a lot of weeks. I'll have 30 to 40 of these on a regular Sunday that I, you know, personally, whoever's preaching does it that weekend. If I'm, you know, whoever's the main communicator, so there's a couple other people on the teaching team. And uh, we do that as a way to to give that personal touch. It's high tech, high touch. And then we have that phone. And, and listen, man, when you send an email out, the open rate's 15% on a good day. Yeah. When I send a video text out from that phone to their phone, you know what the open rate is? 100%. 100% every time. <laughs> and about 70% of people text me back. And they're like, oh, man, I can't believe you texted me. Or, you know, oh, we loved it. We'll be back Sunday. Yeah. Or they might text me back with a question or they might share their testimony. Or, and there's so much great engagement and interaction that happens. And so I say for leaders, I think sometimes we look for ways to lessen our work or to delegate things. And I'm all about delegating and empowering. Yeah. Yeah. But there's some things as a leaders that we don't need to delegate. Yes. you know, we need to be the one to send out that text. We need to be the one sometimes to make that call. We need to be the one to to write that handwritten letter to somebody um, because and pray over it. Mm. You know, I, I do several handwritten letters every week and I pray over them. Nobody does handwritten letters anymore. Yeah, I mean, but when you do, it makes a huge impact. Nobody's sending custom video texts. You know there's more people starting to do it now i'm spreading the word um it's been so successful it (laughs) works and so we have to do those things that sometimes take a little bit more time and you see results that are amazing our church is growing and thriving right now and part of it is because of some of these intentional things that we're doing
0: that's so good so you do that on the on the church phone
1: yeah, I do it on the church phone. Not my personal. Everyone can't have my personal cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> and I keep that phone at the office. Sometimes I'll take it home. Yeah. But uh, I just do text messaging on that phone. I didn't put set up a voicemail. And nobody does voicemails hardly anymore anyways. Right, right. Like, Dr. Right. Gary, I was telling my wife this the other day. I'm like, because voicemail is like so old school now that yeah. now people that like to talk, now they're doing voice memos. Yeah, yeah, Voxer. They're so like, yeah. it's a voicemail in my text.
0: Threat, yeah, <laughs> it's <the> voicemail, basically. <laughs> oh, I love it! No, that's so yeah. good. No, that that's good. It's it's a good way to be a you know a leader that kind of rebuilds life into people. Yeah. Let's, let's jump over to like chapter nine. You, you talk about rebuilding movement in the church. Like, so how can a church begin to grow again? Like, what do they need to pay attention to? Like, talk to the smaller church that's kind of struggling. Like, how can they? What do they need to pay attention to?
1: Yeah, I think you need to pay attention to. The next generation because any kind of growth that's going to happen at a church generally is going to happen through the next generation and when i say next generation i'll say the 40 and under crowd yeah because that is the elusive crowd that most churches in america are struggling to reach for us at our church that is our sweet spot that's our average age is is under 40 crowd um now we do have you know people in their 40s and 50s and even 60s but the majority of our crowd, the median age at our church is, is in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that younger crowd. I just had lunch with a young entrepreneur that's 29 years old, and he's talking to me about, oh man, I can't believe I'm going to be 30 this year. I'm like, oh, to be young again, <laughs> right? But why is there 29-year-olds in my church that are totally leaning in and engaged? Because we're paying attention to them. We're speaking to things that their age group and demographic is concerned about, um, the music and the style and the way that we do church and the way we communicate, it's relevant to that age demographic to millennials and Gen Z. And I think we got to pay attention. I'm a Gen Xer, you know, I'm in my forties, barely, I'm hanging on. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I got a big birthday coming up soon, but, um, People think I'm much younger than I am because yeah. I hang around with a lot of younger leaders yes. as well. And I have some older leaders and mentors in my life too, but um, I really try to stay in pulse of what's happening in culture mm. uh, around me. And so when someone that's under 40, that crowd that most most of us are trying to reach, right? when they step into your church, what do they see? What do they hear? We don't think about that a lot of times because we're just there every week. But you know what? Your music that you play before service and after service, and even the style of your worship songs, all that communicates a message. Hey, there's a place here for you, or uh, this isn't really my my jam, yeah. you know? And so, you know, not again, every church doesn't have to do it like us, but some of the stuff that we do, you know, your, your church has a soundtrack. What does your soundtrack sound like? Does it sound like 1993 or 2023? Yeah, most churches are behind big time. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we're playing worldly music. No, but we have a DJ. Yeah, we have a DJ at every service, you know. And they're spinning Christian music, but it's modern Christian music. They're playing some Christian hip hop, some remixes of gospel, some EDM, some R and B, some you know, some ballad. They're playing some some stuff that's got a vibe to them. People walking in, they see a DJ up there, and they're like, "Oh my goodness, there's a DJ at church." We've been doing that ever since I became the pastor 21 years ago Yeah, because we had a DJ in the youth service. Yeah. I was like, can we do that Sunday? Yeah, we're going to do it. We're building a DJ booth permanently right up there on the stage. <laughs> so we actually have a DJ booth built in on our stage and we have a rotation of several DJs. We have three DJs that are all very talented that rotate and um, several they all three of them do it for a job. Uh, one of them is a full-time DJ and the other two are like, it's a major side hustle for them. And one of the DJs just emailed me last night and was like, Hey man, I want to start a class to raise up DJs Wow! and uh, train people. And he sent me this whole syllabus of everything that he's going to do. They have to pay a small fee, but they're going to get like a thumb drive with all these songs and all these little like markers in them. So the DJ can know when to switch and, you know, mix to the next song. Wow. And so again, every church doesn't have to have a DJ, but I'm just giving you some ideas. Some people are like, I never even thought about that. Why would you even think about that because churches don't do that well maybe churches sh- should think about that yeah like you know like why not you know we're playing god glorifying music you know yeah. and then throughout the service like even when someone does announcements or prays for the offering there's no dead spots there's always a soundtrack behind yeah. we're playing an instrumental lightly yeah so it's kind of like a vibe now during the, the the sermon the the message there's no music then you know, until maybe the end, keyboard player might come up a little bit if we go into like a prayer time or a worship yeah. time at the end. Um, but think about even the videos you play. What is the music in the background? Mm. You know, what's the visuals look like? Because everything is communicating. That's right. And so the question is, could someone walk into your church, has never been in church before, and would they be able to understand kind of the vibe? Would mm. would it connect with them? And number two, would they feel welcome, like truly welcome? Yeah. Because we have a lot of different people that walk in our church, of all different backgrounds, and we try to show love to everybody, mm-hmm. and we try to accept them, and we let you, we let them know, hey, we accept everybody, we love everybody here. Doesn't mean we approve yeah. of everything that you're doing in sure. your life, but we're going to still accept you and show you the love of Christ and and point you to to Jesus because he's the one that can change you. Uh, whatever it needs we all need to change in some ways. Wow. So yeah, I, I would encourage churches to think about what does the soundtrack look like. What does is, what is the lighting look like? What is the paint colors? What is the room? Aesthetics are important yes. to the younger generation. But it's funny, I, I use that word because the 29 year old that I was just at lunch with, he said, you know what? I love the aesthetics, but it's not even that. It's the heart behind everything. Yes. And it's even the way you guys communicate and preach the Bible. It's like, cause he came from a very legalistic yeah. Hispanic church when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, I feel I don't feel judged here. I feel like I can be embraced. That's important. It's so good. So
0: So lastly, in the small amount of time we have left, talk just talk about maybe some other things about reaching your city because you're not the average leader, right? It's just I don't make your head really big, but you're not the average leader in a, in the American church. And so the methodology, the movement, how God's using you, it's awesome. And and I think you know, crossover church is is helping people you know discover and develop and display Christ in all different ways. And, and so, yeah. t- talk about the church that's still in pandemic mode because um, they yeah. they are out there, and you guys are pushing forward. You you guys are re reimagining, you know, your dream again again, and God's showing up. So talk to them about okay, how do you move forward and how do you reach your city?
1: Yeah, I want to say to leaders out there that. Feel like they're stuck right now. I, I know what that feels like. I felt like that for a season as well. We were closed for seven months, and when we reopened, um, it was it was slow. We thought more people were going to come back. We were going to be the anomaly. Come on, people are coming back. They're going to be excited. <laughs> and we had about sixty percent come back first Sunday, then fifty five percent the second Sunday. Mm-hmm. Kind of hung around that, you know, area for a while, and then another wave of COVID came. And that winter, and we dropped down to like forty five percent. I'm like, dang, we're going backwards, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, it was just hard to dream when you're looking out, and yeah, you see a lot of numbers online, but there wasn't the auditoriums half empty now, and you just don't have that momentum. And everyone's wearing masks, and at first, you know, and it was just it was weird. Mm. I hated it, <laughs> you yeah. know. I was a little, I was fighting through it. I was optimistic, but that. There was a part of me that was almost a little depressed at times like, man, are we ever gonna get back to where we were before? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to dream also when it's unpredictable and it's uncertain, like what's gonna happen next? Is there gonna be another wave of COVID? Are things gonna shut down again? Is there gonna, you know, so you wanna plan events and plan series and, but we're like, we felt like we couldn't even plan that far out uh, because it was just, ah, oh, is so uncertain. Well, things are still uncertain. I think they're always gonna be to some degree moving forward But uh, one thing that's certain is we are coming out of the pandemic. The United States is even lifting the, I read last night, May 11th, they're going to allow people from other countries to come in now that aren't vaccinated. And the emergency of COVID is, is, is over now nationally. They've said that. So we are moving past the pandemic, even though some people are still mentally stuck there mm. but like I said we've been optimistic we have put these new systems in place a lot of new systems to the point of like in 2022 we really started to grow with a lot of new people by uh the end of 2022 we were back to the amount of people coming in person that we were pre-pandemic and even starting to exceed it and now in 2023 we're above where we used to be yeah. and Easter Sunday you know when we're recording this it was a few weeks back was our largest Sunday in our church's history. It's awesome. And, you know, that's post-pandemic. Like, oh my goodness. So I know we're the anomaly, there's, you know, a lot of churches are still trying to get back to where they were before. But um, you know, I just want to encourage leaders out there that it's possible and you can, you can dream again. Mm-hmm. And so, but you got to say, okay, what what's different now? What do we need to do different? So I'll I'll end with this. Uh you said like what else are you guys doing? So what we noticed during the pandemic is, you know, everybody was at home for a while, everybody was working at home. A lot of people started side hustles, side jobs, side businesses, and we already were moving into a gig economy pre-pandemic. But, you know, they say crisis is an accelerator and all that got accelerated during the pandemic. And so, you know, a lot of people started online businesses and just all kinds of other things that they had w- been wanting to start. They had a little bit extra time, they're stuck at home. Okay, let me start that thing or do that course or finish my degree so I can launch this other thing. And so there's so many people now that have become entrepreneurs. And during the pandemic, I was leading small groups online for entrepreneurs. And there was dozens that were you know, jumping in on Zoom, some from other cities that were watching our church online. Some of them have moved to Tampa mm-hmm. because they were watching online. And they were in my, a couple was in my group, and she's CEO of this big company now um, that helps entrepreneurs, it's called Entrepreneurship For All. Mm. They have like seven staff and she's the CEO and just amazing stories, stuff she's doing in the inner city, Um, even up in your area, they they have branches and stuff up there. But all that to say, we found a way that, man, we wanna empower entrepreneurs and we want to pray for them, we want to give them tools, we want to give them biblical business principles. We want to create environments where they can network together virtually and, and then especially in person as we started to come back. And so in 2021 we did a couple of breakfasts, innovation breakfasts, you know, and this was still during COVID and we still had, you know, 40 plus people come out. Uh, in 2022 we did our very first uh, business summit. We called it the Innovation Summit. Mm. We had 200 people come and we advertised it to the city. It wasn't a Christian faith based thing, although, of course, we weaved some of that in there. Absolutely. We had a lot of speakers from my church that are influencers. And then we had a few people in the city that are influencers in different spaces, you know, in real estate, in crypto, in yeah. tech. Yep. Uh, at the time, which was sexy a year ago, NFTs and metaverse, right. you know, right. that's kind of passed a little bit, not as popular right now. Right. Crypto right. kind of went down, yeah. but um, it, it was a great event. And there's actually a couple dozen entrepreneurs that joined the church because they first came to this event at the church. And wow. so now we got some powerhouse entrepreneurs that are part of the church. And I passed the baton to a younger entrepreneur that I've been mentoring. He's 34 and he's got like seven companies. He's He's killing it doing really great. wow! And I've been spending a lot of time with him, mentoring him and I passed the baton to him and we officially then like launched the ministry and him and a, they built a team, they came up with the name, it's Crossoverpreneurs. And they did a breakfast uh, two months ago and had over a hundred entrepreneurs show up, you know, from our church, mm. you know, and now we're doing the innovation summit again in, in three weeks on May 20th. And we are not only gonna do the breakout workshops and the general sessions with Ted talks and stuff, but we're doing a Shark Tank, and I connected with uh, National Christian Foundation and Commonwealth, and they have raised a hundred thousand dollars of venture capital that we're going to invest in three local businesses. And so awesome. we have Shark set up, and uh, KB, the Christian hip hop artist, yeah. he's going to be a Shark. The founder of Prey.com. dot yeah. uh, Matt yeah. Potter, he's going to be here. He's going to be a Shark. Uh, the biggest crypto guy in our city, his name's Armando. Uh, his his handle on on uh, social media is tall guy tycoon big <laughs> influencer. He's he's going to be a crypto uh, one of the sharks, and uh, then this lady that runs uh, several different companies in our city. She's going to be a shark. So uh, it's going to be powerful. And uh, and now we're creating a fund for our community, uh, the Uptown Innovation Fund, that is going to continue to keep getting money added added into it to give to urban entrepreneurs. So this is just the beginning. And here's the cool part, Dr. Gary. The church is starting this. Like the the business community and the government couldn't figure out necessarily how to do this. They've wanted to do this kind of stuff, but the church is spearheading it. And so there's some government leaders and different city leaders that are coming to the innovation summit as well. And so just super excited. And for me, it's been almost like a new breath of fresh air. I love to do new things. You know, I'm I'm an entrepreneur as well. You know, you're wearing some of my product. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. Come on. Yeah, man. So I just would encourage churches, like, this is a special time where there's so many entrepreneurs and a gig economy that we're moving into. And if the church could provide resources and mentorship, uh, that can become outreach and it can become discipleship. So I encourage you to tap into some of the entrepreneurs in your church and see how you can resource them and give them a platform, give them space to network and see what, what it could grow into. It could be something incredible. Wow.
0: This has been awesome. We've talked a lot about bringing revitalization into your city, using how God's using your church. And it's just been an awesome conversation. And so just thank you so much for for being on Vitalnomics. And I hope that—thanks for being here. Any last parting words you yeah, want to say? Yeah, I'll
1: just say to everybody out there listening to you too, Dr. Gary, you got to come down to Florida and see us. We do a conference every year called Flavor Fest, and uh, it's an urban leadership conference for church leaders— and we have workshop tracks for um, church planting, for church innovation, for youth ministry, for women in ministry, apologetics, entrepreneurs, artists. We have like seven workshop tracks. It's going to be a powerful weekend. And then we have big hip-hop music festival each evening with some of the top names in, in Christian hip-hop. And so flavorfest.org has got the uh, all the details on there. And I'm not sure how soon this podcast is coming out, but FlavorFest is on tour right now. We just went to New York City, the end of April. We're in Los Angeles, the first weekend of May. We're gonna be in Atlanta, June 10th and Houston, Texas, July 15th. And then we'll be here for the main full conference in Tampa, November 2nd through the 4th. So yeah, tap in with us, flavorfest.org. And you can follow me, uh, UrbanD813. That's uh, my social media handles. And uh, thank you for having me, Dr. Gary.
0: Yeah. And so thanks so much for being part of the show. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to Vitalnomics. And so we hope you found this episode helpful and encouraging. Keep praying, keep reaching your city with the gospel, and we'll talk to you soon.